0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the business community on Callan FM.
1: With me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And it's New Year's Eve. We can draw a line under 2020 and look forward to 2021 at last. Uh, But we, of course, we are at home once again, planning our celebrations for tonight. So we've got a compilation show for you. And what we decided to do this time was we trawled our way back through the archives and we both chose two of our favorite sections from way back when uh, so you're going you're going to hear four excerpts from different shows um, that we've chosen for different reasons. So we're going to start with one of yours Tracy so what's? Okay, so I think this is actually the most recent of all of our choices,
0: and it's from episode 115 from the 14th of May. We were just getting to grips with Zoom at that point, so Mm -hmm. this is um, probably the only one where we recorded on Zoom, actually, yes, so you'll notice the sound quality change as we go through this week's show and we talked about the topic of the side hustle and I just wanted to revisit this one because this got a lot of traction on social media, lots of shares, lots of comments and it was one of our more popular shows on the podcast um, over the last few months and it's a particular favourite subject of mine. I really enjoy talking about this topic.
1: We thought that we'd take a look at a subject that we have touched on in the past but it's it's been given its its true its own name now which has kind of come from the states and that is side hustle which (laughs) most of us know is like sideline but no it's got to be called a side hustle so we (laughs) thought we'd spend some time looking at what (laughs) that means and what it might mean to you uh, or to your staff I've, I've
0: often had side hustles, but I've never called them that. No, what well, have you called them in the past? I don't know, sort of what I, just what I do. <laughs> um, income stream, different income streams, I'm not sure. Mm. The first time I really engaged with with the word was when we did the profile of uh, Dame Cilla Snowball. Oh, yeah. And I remember yeah. that she was saying that she'd taken um, on some side hustles. And that was going to be her career now. And, and actually, all of a sudden, I'm hearing it all the time. It's really, really grown. But I, I had to go and look up the origin of the word, Heather. So, well, what did you discover? Well, I found on miriamwebster.com, quite useful. It, it's got a whole page on the origins of Side Hustle. It comes from um, the word hustle, obviously, and... Hustle is the obvious part. It's had a number of meanings, generally meaning a bit of a swindle, and and was used in the nineteen twenties in America, largely African American newspapers, to describe somebody doing something a bit shady, a bit of a, bit a dodgy. Sta- yeah, but then the side hustle bit got added on according to this website, in the 50s. And it was, again, found mostly in African-American writings. And it applied to both scam and legitimate jobs from the 50s onward. So it has been around for a while. It's been in regular use for 70-odd years. It's
1: just not
0: really been in my awareness for that long.
1: I think the important point to make is that it's more than turning a hobby into money. I think because I think it's a bit more strategic than that. Um, but what it isn't is doing a foreigner. <laughs> you know, that term yeah. when people go, you know, oh, yeah, well, this is what I do. You know, I do this nine to five, but I can do it for you on a Sunday and you just, you know, cash pay me cash in my, in my back yeah, pocket. No. <laughs> it, it's, it's not that. It's That's not more that more of a at hustle. <laughs>
0: That's more of a hustle. Yeah, also, yeah. One thing it's not, it's not a second job. So I I watched uh, an interesting short video on TED Talks and the the lady there was saying that a second job is a a necessity and you've got an employer, whereas a side hustle is something a bit more aspirational where you're perhaps trying out being your own boss while you've still got another job. So that, that distinction is quite clear as well from everything
1: that I've read. And it often, whilst it's not a hobby turned into an income generation, it's often stuff that is, you're interested in, uh, stuff that you're passionate about, stuff that you're good at, skills that you perhaps don't use in your regular job, that you want to tap into and you want to make the most of. Uh, so it, it, it's often a, a sort of a balance, really. And a lot of people turn their side hustle into their main hustle, And that's the point at which they give up the world of employment and become their own business, set up their own business. Uh, So, But for other people, that is not their intention at all. It's just another way of raising money, maybe to pay off a loan or to save up for a a trip of a lifetime or, you know, it's very save up for a deposit on a house, uh, something very sort of project specific you know i need to raise five thousand pounds and this is how i'm going to do it the other Uh, thing
0: i picked up on as well is it it's not just um done by people who hate their main job so a lot of the people that I'd, i'd read stories about actually really enjoyed their main job were very good at it but they'd spotted an opportunity for a side hustle as well And sometimes the main job actually complemented the side hustle.
1: Yeah. And I think that's that's the point I was making about, you know, you might you you might love your job. You know, you work in a call centre and you're talking to people all day and you're on the phone and you're in a room. And your side hustle might involve you getting outside and doing gardening or mowing lawns or you know it might just be something that balances out the sort of yin and yang of your of your life. But it's fair to say there's an awful lot of um websites, articles, um, opportunities, books. sorry books, books book yes, yeah, 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 books. Um, and I think one th- one thing I think I've mentioned before, but one thing I think's really important is that there are things that you can do just off your own back. You might think, I'm really good at x, and you might deliver that service you might make a product you might sell a product or whatever but then there are also lots of established businesses that give you the opportunity to buy into that business as a side hustle once upon a time we like, we might call it party plan i remember the days of tupperware parties and pippa d parties and and even you know nowadays we have um not that they're all female centric but like Ann summer's parties you know this is a weight watchers um coordinators you know those ways of generating income working hard for your own purposes with an established brand versus setting something up from scratch so i think there's two there's two angles what what articles or information have you found tracy that might be useful
0: well i mentioned the ted talk now i would not come across these really really short ones but this is a five minute talk and it's called this is the side hustle revolution and it's by a lady called uh, Nikaila matthews Akome, And she also has a podcast, which is about side hustles, Side Hustle Pro. So I watched her five-minute talk, which was quite interesting. She talked very fast. It was as if she had to fit it all into a specific timescale and that she'd edited out any pauses for breath. <laughs> it, was, it was really fast and full on. But that was enjoyable. So I did go on and find her podcast, Side Hustle Pro. And I listened to an episode from April, the end of April, episode 198, where she interviewed the two founders of Neighbourly Paper, which is a greeting card company. So it's a very American-based podcast. And I've got to say, I thought the podcast was maybe a tad too long, but I... I enjoyed listening to and hearing about the founders of Neighbourly Pay I just would have maybe liked the podcast being a little bit shorter. And then I found a great article, short article, but a very useful one, on Motley Fool website, which in itself okay. helps with side hustles. If you're going to be investing, for example, and they talk about three side hustle pitfalls to watch out for. And I thought these were really, really important ones to to mention. The first one is compromising your main job. So the idea of a side hustle is it runs alongside your main job. And what you don't want to do is to lose the security of your main job by not focusing on your main job Mm. and putting your attention into your side hustle. Because that's fine if your side hustle takes off really quickly. And it can support you, but you need to make sure that you can handle the extra work without compromising your income stream from your main job make sure you pay your taxes make sure you plan for paying your taxes as well if you've got a main job the chances are you're using a lot of your personal allowance if not all of it Mm -hmm. so you'll have to pay tax on all of the income from your side hustle you need to keep track of that and make sure you put the money aside if you can because otherwise when you come to pay the bill you're going to find yourself you've got a cash flow problem And the third pitfall to watch out for is getting burnt out and making sure that you have got enough time and energy to put your efforts into both your main job and your side hustle.
1: I came across an interesting website it's American but it's called the hustle.co and it talks about it talks specifically about side hustles when you think about it this is this has become increasingly true over here one of the most profitable side hustles that you can get involved in is property now a lot of people you know the buy to re- the buy to let market you, you know once upon a time just just being able to own one house was as much as anybody could you know could most of us could aspire to but the idea that you would buy a property do it up turn a profit, buy a property, do it up, rent it out, generate income. So, so that's uh, that was quite interesting. And then just one other thing that I think it's worth mentioning, and you've touched on this uh, in terms of taxation. Uh, of course, if you're thinking of getting involved in a side hustle, you need to think about income generation. So do visit the HMRC website. There is a self-employed helpline there and also uh, another website that that is useful the direct selling association um, it's dsa.org.uk uh, where they give some guidance on what you can sell and under what conditions you can sell it because again you know there will be certain rules that you need to adhere to so yeah i'll put links to those and the other the, the ted talk etc that, that Trace traces referred to on our website which is thebusiness.community
0: You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. And in our compilation show this week, I've chosen Side Hustle that you've just heard. And now Heather's going to choose one of her favourite segments from the show. What's that, Heather?
1: Okay, so I'm going back quite a long way. I'm going back to 2018, November 2018, which was episode 43. And regular listeners to the show will know that I am a cat fan. Uh, And when I saw the image on our blog of a cat, I thought, oh, let's just check. What's this all about? And we were talking about the curiosity quotient. We've heard a a lot about IQ and EQ, but we unearthed this new term CQ. And it was new to us, but apparently it had been around for a long time. So this is us talking about curiosity and what it means in the world of business it's an exciting day
0: today we're starting with a subject that i um i saw an article from a few weeks ago i don't know why i only saw the article a couple of weeks ago because the article's from september 2017 um but it was seeing this article and then you know how sometimes the world conspires and in within the same week i saw an article. this was so designed to capture my imagination. There was a Harvard Business Review magazine on the shelves in WH Smith's with a kitten on the front, a ginger kitten with a, like a, a little feather in its mouth or something like that, all about the same subjects. So I thought, we've got to do this. I sent the message to Heather and basically bullied her into <laughs> allowing us to talk about this subject, which this week is the curiosity quotient. curiosity on its own and the article was about iq eq and the new cq the new curiosity quotient so whereas emotional intelligence was the new intelligence quotient so eq was the new iq cq is the new (laughs) eq does that make sense are you with us so far something like that anyway um but from the reading that I've done, it, it's not saying that curiosity replaces emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence doesn't replace traditional intelligence. It's saying that actually, as with most things, a good balance of these, either in one person, if if they're, they're going to be a leader, or in a team, is actually a good thing to have. And the research in the article that I originally saw, um, it refers to this term being first used by a journalist called Tom Friedman. And in this um, um, article that Tom wrote, he stated that the winners in the digital age will, will be those with more CQ to leverage all the new digital tools to not just find a job, but to invent one or reinvent one, and to not just learn, but to relearn for a lifetime. So that was the start of it. I think. But then as I started to look at other articles, it seems this term has been around for a long time. I just never noticed it. But it appealed to me so much. I was trying to work out why it appealed to me, not just because there was a kitten on the front of a magazine, which incidentally I was going to buy and then realised that the magazine was £18. And I thought I might have to stay there. Um, and I did find the article online. And it was, I think, with HBR, with Harvard Business Review, you can have three free articles within a time period. So,
1: oh yeah, it's really annoying when it says, "In order to read more, you, you yeah. have to subscribe." Yeah. But
0: I, I often have two or three of the articles that I'm allowed in a time period. So, why it appealed to me, I think, is. I think it might have defined me and I suddenly went, oh yes, it, it, it's given um, validity to some of the strange things that I've done in my career
1: perhaps. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so, um, well, one of the things I've got in my biog on the on the business community website is that I, I'm into lifelong learning. Then that was the only way I could express what I meant, which is I like to learn things. One of the reasons I'm doing the show in this format with you, Heather, is it, it gives me an excuse to read books, watch TED Talks and, and, and to generally jabber on about stuff that I'm interested in. Find out in. about stuff. Sorry, yes. Yeah, find <laughs> out about stuff. you be my PR person. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, It says in this article um, that, that I read originally was that curious people are always finding ways to stretch themselves and pushing themselves. They're asking questions, taking classes, reading books and looking at the how, the what, the when and the who and all the other variables in any scenario. And it's like, yeah. I've lost count of the number of night classes I've done just because I'm interested. I can build a wall, I can make a hat, I can drive a forklift truck, I can do this. I've just recently gone on an art class because it sounded like fun. And I've sometimes used the phrase renaissance woman, or a more modern phrase that's been used as multi um, And that, So I did think of changing my biog to say curious, and then I thought, oh, no, that just sounds odd then. <laughs>
1: Until the term is embedded in our um, in business speak, I think it might sound a bit suspect yes. it might do, so I, I sent Heather off to do some
0: research on this just because I got very excited that yes, I'm okay. I'm not weird, well, I might be weird, but I'm not the only one who's weird in this way. What did you find out, Heather? Are you curious?
1: I am. Yes, I am very, very curious. Um, I did. The Harvard Business Review had um, an online assessment that you could do, uh, which I waded my way through. And, um, and it came out saying that I am an unconventional thinker, um, that I am intellectually hungry. and that i seek new experiences and relationships and and none of that actually came as a great surprise to me um but it it, it is quite nice to have a label attached to it but a bit like you tracy i've maintained so academically i didn't apply myself you know i wasn't i was i performed really badly in exams because i was too busy having a good time and you know i'm a little bit like oh squirrel and i'm easily (laughs) distracted um But I did quite well before I started my own business. I did quite well in my career. And I I always say that I I achieved what I achieved through asking questions and finding my way around my subject. And I think that that's the same kind of thing. And I've often said, you know, we live in a time where so so many people go to university. So many people have academic qualifications that if you're presented with a candidate for a post, For me, it's the person that is most curious, the person that is most creative in their thinking, the way that they apply the knowledge that they've got and people who don't accept the status quo. Because if we all accepted the status quo, then we would never stretch and we'd never push and we'd never develop new things. And that's not about invention necessarily it's about approach it's about um, different ways of doing things and it's certainly something that the CIPD the Chartered Institute of Personnel Development um, has got on its agenda at the moment and they they talk about um, at different stages within um, somebody's career you know different pay scales what this might mean Um, and obviously being curious is is very different if you're in a um a more um junior or um initial role rather than if you're you know in an executive a leader or whatever and I think that that in itself is quite interesting so it's looking at you know whether your job is to just look at stuff and say okay what's a better way of doing this or whether your job is where is the business at the moment and what direction could we take it in and so I think that we all um have this potential uh, at any an, an opportunity wherever we fit within um within within the world of work or within the world of business so i think it's 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 looking at if if we've all if nobody questioned and nobody thought creatively and nobody was curious hey we wouldn't have half the things that we have now would we
0: i think some of the articles that i read refer to the fact that um, although now it's been accepted that Curiosity is great um, for the the organisation to to help them to perform and to move into the future. There is still this sense that um, some organisations and some leaders feel uncomfortable with it and and might want to stifle curiosity. Whether because they think it's going to um, risk, bring more risk with it, you know, we we can't take a chance on that, or lead to inefficiency. You know, if you're curious and you're going off and researching something that isn't going to actually help you right now and, and to do the job now, you might think that that's inefficient. So there's quite a... An acceptance that would need to be gone through, Uh, I think, at the highest level. I think if this isn't a culture-led thing, just having somebody curious in the organisation, they might find it quite challenging, a challenge to authority if you keep going, but why? I mean, anybody who's got kids will know how frustrating it can be to have. Why? But why? And then why and why and why? And and if that's, on the one hand, they're saying that's what you need in employees or, or a certain subsection of employees or for some employees to have it for a certain part of their working life how can organizations actually um bring this on without feeling the need to stifle it or feeling that it's a challenge to authority
1: but i think i I think you're you're right but curiosity uh, being curious doesn't mean maverick it doesn't mean so actually uh setting again with children actually setting boundaries you know children are asking why because they're gathering knowledge and they're gathering information Uh, and and i'm not a parent but you know kids ask why and it's only very rarely that we actually before we answer we stop and think why (laughs) You, you know why why actually is it not okay to do that or why actually do we do that that way and within an organisation, if a fresh pair of eyes or a new broom sweeps clean, you know, we hear that all the time. Well, that's the same sort of thing. Somebody comes into an organisation, why do we do it that way? Well, because George says that we should do it that way. Well, hang on a minute. Why really? Yeah, is, so that you're the, not, is that the best You're way? not
0: suggesting undisciplined behaviour. No, no. It's actually channelling that interest and, and that urge to research and to make yeah. connections. And then
1: deciding yeah. whether there's something in it or whether no, actually we don't act on that so it's it's i think if you set the boundaries people can be curious within their remit okay so wait for the
0: clunky link here if you're curious to find out more oh oh. see what you
1: did there oh you're (laughs) wasted on this (laughs) take a look
0: at our website for any of the relevant links that we've taken our research from and that is the business.community The next segment I've chosen for our compilation show this New Year's Eve is from episode 105 way back the 5th of March. March seems to be such a long time ago and yet we seem to have repeated March over and over again through this year so this seemed like a really recent thing but in the distant past as well, if that makes sense.
1: <laughs> it does. Time has gone a bit weird, hasn't it? it
0: has. uh, and we talked about uh, writing a book in this episode. And I, I re-listened this part of um, this particular episode quite recently. And it, it still resonated with me. The good reasons for writing a book, the bad reasons for writing a book. And the reason I listened to it again is I still haven't really made any headway, was writing a book myself. (laughs) So, it's just a a little reminder as to what I could potentially do if I focused my
1: mind. This week we're looking at books and for our love love books, books, love books and our topical discussion, um, in our topical discussion we consider the what, why and how to go about writing one. They say everybody's got a story in them. But how easy is it to get people to pay for the privilege of reading your story and even though that we we've covered so many books by entrepreneurs who've penned their autobiography or their pearls of wisdom, but what does it then take to spread the word so it's quite a broad subject, but we thought it was worth looking at tracy what have you ever written a book
0: no i write i I like to write, and I've always thought you know it would be nice to write a book, but then I fall victim to the whole procrastination thing or that I actually don't spend time writing it. And to be honest, I don't really know what I would write a book about.
1: <laughs> would it be fiction or would it be factual? I'd like to do both, honestly.
0: Mm. Um, I'd read a lot of non-fiction and it would be quite nice from a business point of view to have uh, be known as an author in that particular field. But I, I also like to write non-fiction. Just for pleasure. Oh, sorry, to write fiction for, pleasure, for pleasure. yeah, for But... Um, I do think it, there are very different reasons for writing a book and and I found a brilliant article, um, a gentleman... Now, it says on this on this blog he's called Tucker Max, but I'm starting to thinking maybe he's Max Tucker. So I apologise if you are actually called Tucker Max.
1: Either way round is a really <laughs> cool name.
0: But Max Tucker uh, from 2016 on Medium.com. And he talks about... Um, it's not the idea for the book, it's about the motivation behind the book. And he says that people should not write a book if they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And this is from a publisher himself. Okay. So he said, although, you know, I might be encouraging everybody to write a book, the first thing they need to ask is why do you want to write a book and what you're hoping to get from it. And some people should just not write the book if they're writing it for the wrong reasons. Now, can I ask you, do you want to write a book?
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, I... Um Good old social media. I think about five years ago or something, I put, right, I'm going to write a book. I thought, if I put it out on social media, it'll happen. How's that going then? It's not going particularly well, to be fair. Now, why did you want to write a book? Because Well, for me, uh, I wanted to write a book because I wanted to be able to use it as a marketing tool for my business I wanted yeah. it to be a way of demonstrating some of my knowledge I'll give
0: you a big tick for that because oh. that's one of the good reasons for writing oh. a book according to Max
1: OK alright
0: yeah. one of the bad reasons is wanting to make money from it
1: yeah I well I found some stats I don't know if you you came across them but in 2012 some stats that were released in 2012 and it says how much money can you make from writing a book in the UK um, so Average earnings in twenty twelve were twenty six and a half thousand pounds. So to make that much money on a book contract with a paperback book selling at seven ninety nine that pays ten percent to a write pays ten percent, a writer would need to sell thirty three thousand one hundred and sixty six copies a year.
0: Every
1: year. Every <laughs> year. That's quite a lot of books.
0: I didn't get that stat, but um, I was looking at one. It's Now, it's based in America, but it gives you an idea yeah. of the scale of the problem. So in America, in one particular year, um, only 200 books sell 100,000 copies.
1: Only 200 in, in the USA? Yeah, out of
0: all of the books published. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think they said there were 300,000 books published in that year, and only 200 of them sold more than 100,000 so you're not going to be million sellers. You've got um, 0.07% chance of selling one-tenth of a million. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind a million. So wanting to uh, sell millions of books to make lots of money can't be the idea. However, as you said, Max talks about the fact that you can make money in other ways and use the book to give you credibility or to sell yourself as the authority mm. in a particular area. I, th- I think that's very valid. Certainly for a non-fiction book anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also one of the reasons I'd quite like to write a book is that sense of achievement because nowadays you can self-publish so you don't yeah. you, you don't even have to go through the pain of sending your book to loads and loads of publishers. And, them, and all those rejections. Yes, yes, or them saying, oh, just send us the first chapter and a synopsis or, you know, whatever <laughs> it is. Because um, if that were the case, I'd probably write the first chapter And not write the rest. Whereas the fact that you can self-publish, that you can print on demand, yeah. so you don't have to have... I've met people... In fact, I worked in publishing for a time, um, and, you know, you'd have a a garage full of books in the hope that people would buy them. And it's like a monument to your failure,
0: isn't it? Yeah, exactly. All those books you can't sell, you end up burning on your bonfire.
1: Exactly, exactly. So... So
0: another good reason not to write a book is if you want to be a famous best-selling author. I thought this was really interesting. Um, Max um, said that, um, name all the famous people that are only famous for writing. And uh, can you think of
1: any? Um, um, J.K. Rowling? That was on the list. Um some of the, uh, like, Barbara Taylor Bradfords of this world. Dick Fran Oh, Dick Francis. Well, he's dead, isn't He's he? dead. Oh, have they got to be alive? You didn't say that. Wow. <laughs> well, okay. no, I was
0: moving on to that. Okay. Because you've got, obviously, you've got Hemingway and Tolkien. Oh, yeah, all of the, yeah, class Twain yeah, yeah, and yeah. Lee, yeah. Harper Lee yeah. and... Um, you know, they're all dead. So actually, living authors who are famous just for writing, well, you've probably got Malcolm Gladwell in there. We have reviewed some yeah, of his books. Yeah.
1: Um, oh, of course, because once you're dead, you can't make money from it for you personally. So <laughs> yeah, what's good what's the point? point? <laughs>
0: but um, actually be, becoming on the bestseller list doesn't mean you'll become famous either because if you think about your favourite book, was it actually on a bestseller list? One of the most... Um, impactful books and um, it sold 10 million copies is man's search for meaning okay you've heard of that one victor yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. it was never on a bestseller list right okay so you can
1: sell a lot and not be on a bestseller list might not even be famous for it i but i suppose that's also because a bestseller list is probably a volume you know a quantity so you're ranked a bit like you know the top 40 or whatever you know at a moment in time you're a best-selling book and they don't keep that cumulative total going do they yeah for 50 odd years
0: so um other ones I want to write as life (laughs) that's reckons that's a bad reason Um, because the example he gave us you don't get into shape by wearing the best gym clothes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> True, oh, yeah. True. So actually, you have some that. hard work as well. Yes. So You can't just assume the life of a writer. Unless you have that life already, you know, and that's your identity. I just want to be a writer because I want the writer's life, actually. That also includes working and doing, doing something about it.
1: I think I'd really struggle with the isolation of it because... You, OK, you need to do research, but, but ultimately you've got to sit in a room. And write. And write. And and actually they say that, don't they? If you want to write a book or if you want to be a writer, the first thing you've got to do is sit down and write. You've got to write every day and then throw away a load of stuff.
0: So I, I did see something on, um, on social media saying that this um, – coronavirus is great for people who are writing because self-isolation is what they do well. (laughs) Yeah,
1: well, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing is, you know, we've we've covered a lot of business books um, in the two two or so years that we've been going. And business books and self-help books and personal development books are a massive part of the book industry now whereas once upon a time it was either a textbook or it was fiction you know there was no sort of in between. Um, Where people would be buying non-fiction to read for pleasure. Yeah yeah. yes whereas I think the whole it'd be interesting to see what that actual market is worth Mm. um, in terms of the overall book market because yes fiction is very important but business and personal development and people's stories some of the business people who've written their autobiographies um and of course on our on our website which is the business.community there are links to a lot of the books that we have already covered and if you were to accidentally click on one of them and accidentally um buy one of them um we get about two pence which covers the cost. It all of adds our, up doesn't yeah, it to 10, post in our website 10, yes. 10 pence <laughs> So now you know how to write a book, Tracy, I'm going to talk about a book that has been written by somebody. Well done uh, to that person. Somebody who actually did it, yes. This is uh, going back to January 2019, um, episode 51. And sticking with my cat theme, the book is how to argue with a cat. And the reason uh, I love I love this book anyway, but what I like most about it is when I'm talking to Tracy, she starts off thinking that it's a bit of a waste of space, this book. But she soon is converted to my way of thinking and that it is actually a really good book.
0: This week, we're reviewing one of Heather's Christmas presents. (laughs) It's a book called How to Argue with a Cat, A Human's Guide to the Art of Persuasion. It's by rhetoric expert Jay Heinrichs, and he's teamed up with illustrator Natalie Sutton to show how cats can teach us the ancient art of persuasion. It's described as being funny and informative and suitable for both young and adult readers who will learn how to apply cat's rhetoric to get whatever they want. Hmm. so we're, we're both cat owners and so I'm, I'm guessing this is why uh, the book was bought for you as a Christmas present and uh, it appeals to me because I love the graphics on there so I went to, to have a look at um, all the marketing around it and to me I thought when I was going to see this book that you brought in that it was going to be a picture book there's a lovely advert for it on YouTube the book cats are trying to ban and I think it showcases the artwork but not so much the content but I liked it so I went on to have a look at the website persuasivecat.com and it starts off with a headline if you can persuade a cat you can persuade anyone they reckon that cats rank among among the world's top negotiators they get humans to do what they want when they want that's so true as an owner of two cats they've got me completely wrapped around their little paws. So if you can learn to persuade a cat to do what you want, then any human, colleague, friend, boss, partner, or even your most cantankerous relative, it said, would bow to your magic. So I wasn't quite sure what to expect with the book. There is an excerpt on the website. In fact, there's three excerpts on the, on the website. And I thought they were funny, but I was left thinking, is, is that it? It seemed a little bit, Um, vacuous, almost as if, you know, let's laugh about what cats can do, but the excerpt didn't take me any further to go, okay, how can we apply that in our lives? Uh, I can see the funny side of it, but how how does it work, particularly from a, a persuasion point of view? So... When I got here in the studio today, I had a look at the book that Heather brought in and it wasn't at all what I expected, I'm pleased to say. There were a lot more words in it. Although the artwork is fantastic and I love the artwork on the website and, and in the adverts, I, I was pleased to see that there, there did seem to be more content to the book. So, Heather, what did you think of the book? Is there more substance to it than the marketing
1: led me to believe? There is, and I think it's it's just another one of those books in the series of, you know, Eat That Frog and Who Moved My Cheese. It's about making um, the psychology of human life a little bit easier to understand without getting too highbrow and too complex. It's funny. It has, you know, it is funny, but it does have a serious point. And um, I'm a cat lover. I'm a communicator and i help people to persuade and influence other people so it was a perfect present so it for was you. the perfect present yes That's no right. pun intended there tracy See i'm what sure you did there. yeah the car the the illustrations are fantastic but there is as i say a serious point point. and essentially what what the book covers the headings that he he uses they they work you through um things like uh, practice agreeability pounce like a predator, diffuse anger, we all need that, Uh, fit in with the clan, earn loyalty, argue logically, avoid manipulation, talk with your body, make them heed. And then he gives you a checklist of the things that you should do. So I've just picked up a couple of them. There are lovely quotes or statements at the beginning of each uh, chapter. And uh, the first one, when in doubt, keep a straight face, because a cat's expression never changes. So don't allow your face to give away what you're thinking, you know, focus on what you're trying to achieve, what the outcome that you're looking for, how you're going to persuade, which I think is absolute sound advice. But then he he says, um, fit in with the clan. If in a conversation with a cat or a human, try purring, Put yourself in a pleasing, ingratiating mood. Change your mood and you can improve the mood of others. So actually, uh, put yourself in in a positive mindset. Because if you're going to try and get somebody to do something, you don't want to be looking prickly. You don't want to be looking confrontational. You want to be looking, if you want, he uses an example, if you want to get your mum to do something, um, you, or you want, you know, you want to persuade her that it's okay for you to stay out late, you You don't go up to her and say, oh, mum, have you had your hair done? Because then she'll say, what are you after? (laughs) But you just put yourself in the frame of mind where you think about all the amazing things that your mother's done for you, why she's a great mother, so that you are in a much better, you have a much better demeanour and you're in a better disposition when you start to have the conversation about, would it be possible for me to stay out a bit later on Saturday night or whatever? So he uses this sort of, what would a cat do? Okay, what does that mean in real life? Another one that he that he uses, um, and we all know this, make them heed the lure and the ramp. Now that you've learned the basics of rhetoric, it's time to get a person or a cat to do your bidding. So how can you get power over a cat? Here's the secret. Make the cat think she has the power. <laughs> and he uses um, a food example where um, if your cat's not eating wet food and you want it to eat Uh, not eating dry food, it's always wanting the wet food. Get two different flavours of dry food, put it down, and it will choose whichever one is the better. So it's eating the dry food. And it reminded me of an occasion where my sister-in-law, when she wanted my niece to wear certain clothes, she would put out the outfit that she wanted my niece to wear. And then, because my niece never wore dresses, she'd put out a dress. (laughs) And she'd say, you can choose what you'd like to wear. And she would always choose the outfit that her mother wanted her to wear. So it's a similar rule. Make the per- make the cat or the the other person think they have the power. And then he has the the checklist. And of course with anything in life, it's about thinking what your goal is. What are you actually trying to achieve? Because if you lose attachment with that, then you're never going to persuade anything anybody to do anything. So that's kind of how he that's kind of how he works it. And as I say, it's funny, but it has got a lot of sound advice on how would you treat that person? How would they like to be treated? What are you trying to achieve? What do you respond to? What do you not respond to? Is shouting at the cat going to make any difference? No, it's not. (laughs) No, that's true. Because it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, I love it. I think it's good. I think it's good. good. Well, I did a bit of research into the author, Jay Heinrichs. So
0: this isn't his first book. And his book called Thank You for Arguing mm. has sold 300,000 copies. But I think more importantly, it's one of the top 10 most assigned books at Harvard University. And he's um, a persuasion and content consultant for major corporations. And he says he's mostly proud of his ability to be liked by cats. But to be fair with I think he's de- delusional with yes. that one. Cats don't <laughs> like you. They're, just, they're obviously just using their skills to make you think they like yes. you. Yeah. Yes. So I also thought, OK, so I think I know what rhetoric is. But when it came down to it, I couldn't describe it without going and, and doing a little search in the dictionary. So I came across two different definitions of rhetoric, one which I think Jay Heinrichs would probably adopt and one which perhaps he wouldn't so the more positive one is that rhetoric is the art of effective or persuasive speaking or writing especially the exploitation of figures of speech and other compositional techniques known as trope Trope. Well, that's another word for me. I've got other cinnamon. Cinnamon. cinnamon.
1: Synonyms.
0: Synonyms. I can't say. It
1: Synonyms.
0: Synonyms. Yes. Thank you. Oratory, eloquence, power of speech, command of language. Not so great today. <laughs> Expression, way with words. But the slightly more negative definition was language designed to have a persuasive or impressive effect, but which is often regarded as lacking in sincerity or meaningful. Content and the synonyms here are bombast, loftiness, grand, grandilo, grandiloquence. Oh gosh, I really needed to have practiced these. Right. Magniloquence, ornateness, portentousness, pomposity, boastfulness, <laughs> boasting, <laughs> bragging, and heroics. So I think I'd know which one I would choose if I was an expert of rhetoric. I'd go for the art <laughs> of persuasive speaking. <laughs>
1: Have you read his first book? No, I haven't but I, but I hadn't I hadn't heard of this book at all. Uh, my husband bought it for me but I will be looking at thank you for arguing because again if you're persuading somebody to do something the last thing you want to do is is get into an argument. However, it may be that that would be a strategy. <laughs> so I'm going to read that book. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll
0: we'll put a link for the book on our website which is thebusiness.community. So that's all we've got time for in the show today and indeed for this year. I hope you've enjoyed joining us on the business community this year. We've certainly enjoyed preparing our shows for you. Sadly, we haven't been in the studio as much as we would have liked, but uh, we've had to learn a whole new set of skills in order to bring you this show. So I hope it's been worth it and thank you for sticking with us.
1: I can't remember. When was the last time we actually saw each other, Tracy? You're just a person in Zoom now. It's it's just the weirdest thing. It's just the weirdest thing. I I know. I don't even know. You're just you're like my imaginary friend. (laughs) Anyway. More of the same to come in 2021. So uh, whatever you're doing this evening, if you're going to bed with a cup of cocoa or if you're partying on your own in your lounge, have a very, very happy new year.
0: You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.